young lawyers need to understand the business impact of their decisions and their actions. That's what we're going to talk about today. My name is Chris Hargraves and I am from tipsforlawyers.com where you can go to find other things and we are going to talk about business acumen. So if you've been listening to any of my stuff for, for more than a few seconds, you probably know that I have a tendency to lump those missing legal skills that young lawyers come out of university without into four main categories, and they are communication, in particular in the form of legal drafting that I spend a long time uh, and a lot of effort talking about from time to time, marketing and business development, personal professional growth, which is that area of sort of self-helpy, improvement-y kind of stuff, and business acumen. So today we're going to talk about business acumen because it doesn't get a lot of play. And I'm still seeing graduates coming out of law school and into practice who just don't seem to appreciate that every decision they make in practice, in particular in private practice, but generally is going to have some sort of business or financial impact. And I'm going to give a couple of examples, but I guess the big takeaway, if you're going to stop listening in a few seconds because it gets too boring, is you've got to actually consider how you deciding to do X rather than Y flows on within the business. And the examples we're going to use are simply examples to help highlight how every decision you make from how long you take to do something to when you deliver it to how you approach your personal endeavors towards the delivery of legal services. These things have an actual impact on someone, most notably on the law practice that you are employed by, and the people, that is the young lawyers who actually get this and implement it, are inevitably more valuable employees than those who don't get it and just continue to make decisions or conduct themselves in such a way that shows not only do they have that level of sort of ignorance, ignorance can be cured through knowledge, but they have a lack of incentive to change in such a way that respects the fact that they are working for a business. And there is this intersection. I don't want to ignore the intersection between the fact that we, as a profession and as a service-oriented profession, have particular obligations to our clients, and those include ethical obligations to, of course, do our jobs to the best of our capacity. But within that, it is possible to meet that obligation, both that professional and ethical obligation, while at the same time respecting and understanding the fact that you are working for a business. And if that business doesn't actually have a positive financial outcome as a consequence of your contribution over the sort of medium term, then you're not going to stay employed there. Either it's going to shut down or it's going to have to let you go because if you are a constant negative drain on resources in particular financial resources and you have reached the part of your career when that ought not be the case because there is an initial learning curve there where you will inevitably be a, a negative asset <laughs> for, for lack of a better description then what is that firm supposed to do so what I encourage you to do with all of your decision making is consider how doing this thing in this way, within this time, 
or approaching it in this manner or whatever, how that's going to impact the business and whether you can do that in a way that has a more positive impact or not. That won't always be possible and it won't always be your problem and sometimes you will just be told to do something in a particular way and it will be taken out of your hands. But within the confines of what you do have the autonomy to decide, you have this flexibility. So what can we talk about? The first thing I want to talk about, I guess, is your working within the confines of how much something has been told to a client it's going to cost. Now, this really doesn't matter particularly whether it's a fixed fee kind of operation or a time build operation. At some point, your firm has had to tell a client doing this job, job X, is going to cost Y dollars. It might be $2,000 fixed fee, it might be $5,000 to $7,000 for the production of a pleading or whatever. At some point, someone has communicated that to a client, hopefully, whether you know that or not. And so then the question becomes, how can you wrap that into the way in which you're approaching the task? Firstly, inform yourself. If you're being delegated a task from a senior practitioner and they're saying, could you please prepare a draft pleading? Here's a precedent, you know, investigate this, look at that, prepare it in this way, and you're sent off to do it. Question number one, how long do you want me to spend on this task? Or if we're in another environment, what estimate have we given the client for this task? Okay, if you don't know, ask. Because if you simply decide that you can spend as long as you possibly need to do this task and chase down every single minuscule detail, but in the process you go three times over the budget that your firm can possibly bill your client, that's not a good outcome and that's not you contributing. In fact, you're costing your firm or your client money. And that is not a good thing, just so you know. Clients don't like bills that are higher than expected. Firms don't like writing off tens of thousands of dollars worth of their money and wasted opportunity for you to be doing other things just because you didn't inform yourself about the parameters of the task you were given. So ideally, your person delegating you this will, of course, tell you, please don't spend more than X hours on it, two hours, three hours, five hours, 10 hours, whatever, but they might not. And if they don't, ask. Very simple. Now, once you know how much it's supposed to cost the client, you can't just burn all of that. If something's going to cost, say, your time billing, okay, and I know it's become uncool, but it's, uh, it's still fairly common. So let's say your time billing per six-minute unit or whatever, and you've given your client an estimate of $3,000 to $4,000, and you prepare a 15-page advice, and in the process, you spend $3,790 worth of WIP on that task and then you hand it to your supervisor and say here I've done this draft and they check the whip and all of a sudden they realize you've left them 30 minutes to review settle finalize and ask questions about the draft advice that you've prepared that is not a sensible piece of decision making for you you need to factor in how long is it going to take for your supervisor to review your work, ask you questions, have you dig into some other things, and you've got to work backwards from that estimate. You've probably got a lot less time to do it than what you think you have. And sometimes that's a good thing, because in truth, a lot of the time we can do the task in less time than we think it's going to take, but we need to give ourselves that little nudge in the right direction to say, I've got to have this draft done within 
three hours and that means I've got an hour for research, I've got an hour and a half for first drafting and I've got half an hour for review and polish before I hand it to my supervisor. You've got to work back in that way and break down the task in those chunks and ensure that you are keeping to that time. Now, there are many different ways to cut that, but the key is to inform yourself and to ensure that you're working towards your firm's promise to your client because if you don't, it's going to cost someone money and a firm needs money to stay alive and your client needs, generally speaking, to have promises met or it's going to leave. So let's go with that. The next one, and it's similar, but in a slightly different context, is delivery times. So let's say you're a young lawyer and someone says to you, uh, we need to get this out to the client by close of business Thursday. And you... Uh, with your you know, various shifting priorities and so on, then hand it back in draft, whatever it may be. Let's say, kick, stick with the advice. It's an advice. You hand your draft advice back to your supervisor at 4.49 p.m. on Thursday. Do you think that advice is going out to that client? One of two things are going to happen. Your supervising staff member, whoever it is, is going to have to stay late or review it that night in order to meet the promise to the client and... That's not going to make you any friends. You can trust me there. Uh, Or someone has to tell the client, sorry, we'll need to get that to you tomorrow. Now, how many times do you think a client wants to hear that when they were promised something by a particular time frame? Would you like to hear that? If you'd ordered a plumber and they were supposed to come in on Saturday morning and they called you on Friday night at nine o'clock and said, oh, I'm sorry, we've we've actually actually not... Uh, been able to complete a job today. We're going to have to come in next Monday instead. Is that okay? Would that be Would that be cool with you? I'm guessing it wouldn't be. That has a business impact. The firm is affected by that kind of decision making. So again, ask the right questions during the delegation process. What is it that you need to deliver and when do you need to deliver it by to allow the firm's processes to be able to be done, for it to be reviewed, for it to be revised, for questions to be asked, for issues to be raised and further investigated. You might need to allow another half a day's buffer for your supervisors. How busy are they? Are they out of the office? Ask them, when do you need this by? So how long should I spend on it? And when do you need this by? These are business impacting questions that you can ask to ensure that you're starting to work towards that understanding that your actual conduct has business outcomes. The last one's a little bit different. So the last one I want to talk about non-billable time. And it's important to have an appreciation for the value of non-billable time. I've spoken about that in the past, that you can be doing valuable activities that aren't necessarily billable. That in itself is an appreciation of a business understanding. But what you can't do is forget that in the process of performing those non-billable activities, you still need to be doing them productively. So the three main levers of law firm profitability are revenue, how much money is actually coming in, productivity, which we're talking about now, how much is actually being done, finalized, shipped, completed, not just busyness, but actual completion of things that are material and tangible assets or valuable things to the firm, and leverage. How can we lower the cost of delivery of services, but still deliver the same high value of services? So these things all interplay in different ways in order to actually allow law firm profitability to be maximized. So when it comes to non 
billable work, the question you need to be asking is, am I applying the same sort of rigorous productivity habits to non-billable work as I am to billable work? See, because what I started with here was billable work. It's very obvious. You've got an estimate that you've got to meet or a fixed fee that you need to work within. And it's very clear that if you spend $2,500 in WIP on a $2,000 fixed fee, your firm loses 20% of the revenue because that's just wasted time. Now, that might have been factored in or not. That's not the issue. The issue is you've got clear parameters there. But it's rare, not totally never going to happen, but it's rare for those same kind of parameters to be set when it comes to non-billable productivity. So if you're writing an article, say, or you don't have an enormous amount of billable work on, and so you've been asked to do a particular project or some form of non-billable task, whether it's helping prepare a presentation or researching a particular area of case law or updating precedents or whatever, some form of non-billable task, it might be that if your senior people giving you those tasks don't necessarily articulate to you the amount of time to spend, that you start to apply some of your own parameters. How long should this take, do I think? Should it take me an hour to read a case that's 15 pages long, or should it take me half an hour? How long will it take me to prepare this article? What kind of timeframes, what kind of productivity hacks can I implement? And I hesitate to use the word hacks, but you know what I mean. What kind of strategies can I use to ensure that my non-billable time has the same rigor as my billable time to ensure that I'm staying productive? Because when you're light-ish on work, it's very easy and, and certainly very tempting because you have nothing compelling you to keep sort of driving ahead like client demands is a, is a very uh, incentivizing thing. If a client expects something, then you work hard to get it to them by that time. But non-billable work is not always the same. So I would suggest in order to keep that productivity up, what you do is you set deadlines for yourself, the same as the last two that I've mentioned. You set a time constraint on how long the task should take you, and you set a time constraint on how long the task or how long it will be before the final product of the task is delivered. So a delivery deadline and a commitment deadline in terms of the actual time spent, because those two things won't always be the same, because you're always usually juggling different priorities and different things that come up during the course of the day. So that would be my suggestion. That's how I would go about it. Three areas where I think young lawyers can start to really apply themselves more comprehensively to deciding that their decisions have an immediate and direct impact upon the business that employs them or their client's business, which is in itself something that has an impact on the business of law that employs you, and take that into account. Now, those are just three examples. The truth is that everything you do from the time you turn up, the time you leave, how you apply yourself during the day, whether you are competent at technology, whether you are receiving delegation well, paying attention, taking notes, ensuring you're writing, uh, asking the right questions, all these sorts of things are really direct business aspects. If you need to re-ask the same question 15 times because you didn't bother taking notes, that's not very helpful. That's a waste of everyone's time and the firm's money. All these sorts of things factor into the perception of how valuable you are as an employee. 
And there's a reason when, when the course was available, I called one of my courses the Invaluable Lawyer because the people who master these sorts of techniques or at the very least keep paying attention to them and have an appreciation of them, an awareness of them, are the people who are perceived as higher value contributors to a law firm. They will inevitably be given more responsibility, greater promotion opportunities, and be perceived as higher contributors to the firm than those who do not get this kind of stuff. Okay, that's all I had to say. Went a little bit longer than usual today, but I'm sure we can all put up with that. If you're still listening, then I hope this was valuable. And if it was, don't forget to leave a review or leave a comment. Are there any other areas, any concerns you have about this particular aspect? Do you totally disagree with me? I'm open to being disagreed with in a polite fashion. That is all for today. And I will see you next time.